Our scripture reading for today is Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, hey, good morning. Good to be with you. So, uh, Peter Deneka was a Russian immigrant, and he fled to the U.S., actually became a Christian, was used mightily uh, in both this country and, and Russia. But his parents, to get him out, sacrificed everything to get him on the boat over. So when he left, he had literally very little possessions, very little money, and some bread that his mom had given him to kind of help him survive the trip. And he's on the road, or excuse me, he's on the boat going over to the U.S., and each day he lingers past the dining hall, three meals a day. And each day he just is hoping and wishing he could have some of that food And so he just continues to nibble on the bread. Well, the day before he lands in the U.S., someone on board with him helps him realize something, something that was written on the ticket. And that was this, that along with the ticket and the boat ride over, he was actually entitled to three full meals a day. You know, we've been making our way through the book of Romans And Paul's been unpacking the gospel, this good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and all that that means. And it's right here where Paul asks a flurry of rhetorical questions in response to the gospel. And it's because he doesn't want any of us to be like Peter Deneka. In other words, the gospel is not merely a ticket to a better place. It is not just mere information to be, to take in, but rather it is a full meal that in the present gives a deep assurance and joy and power. And listen, Paul is summarizing pretty much everything he's written so far. He's reflecting. He says, what shall we say in response to this? This is his question. And he summarizes all of this in one statement. This is, listen, this is what will give you in the present a deep assurance 
and joy and power. It's four words. God is for you. That's his summary statement. Does that sound too good to be true? Are there some of you that want to say, but what about this or what about that? Are there some cynics in the room? Does it, make, does it maybe sound too trite? This is Paul's statement here that God is for you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he called this section logic on fire. And here's what he, he meant by this. He said this, these, the gospel, this gospel are not dry doctrines. If you are not overwhelmed with assurance and power, you're not fully understanding them. You're nibbling on bread, right? And so with the time we have today, we're going to kind of belly up. We're going to try to take in a full meal. Three things. The logic of adoption. The logic of justification. And the logic of inseparable love. So let me pray. Father, we uh, come to you today and I know for myself, um, I've spent many times nibbling other places. So would you help us today to take in what you would have, that your gospel would come in such a way that it would transform our hearts with a deep assurance, with deep joy, and with the power to live in the present in a new way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, the logic of adoption. Um, what are you willing to give up to be with someone? Think about that for a moment. We all know that if someone is for you, it can be measured by what they're willing to spend. And that's how Paul really begins this section. In verse 32, he says this, He who did not spare his own son but give him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Paul begins, and he says, hey, the logic of the gospel is this, is God did not spare his own son. He didn't hold him back. What's, what's most valuable to you? What are you not willing to part with? The logic of the gospel is that God has given everything. In fact, when it says that, when it says um, he not spare his own son, but, but gave him up for us all, that, that the, the language of giving up, it's actually the fact that the, the father is initiating it, that he's handing over his son. This isn't something where someone is saying, you need to give up your son. This is him initiating it. He is for you. Do you ever wonder if God's indifferent towards you? Do you ever wonder if God's apathetic towards you? Or maybe upset to the point where there's just no way back. The logic of the gospel is this. The, the costliness of what he has done in Christ. It's the assurance that he's for you. You know, the end of verse 32 says, How will he not also along with him 
graciously give us all things. And we can't just, you know, stick our own meaning in all things for a moment here, you know? Like, it's not like, hey, I want an Xbox, therefore God's going to give it to me, right? Or something like that, right? The all things, as one of my friends put it, Paul is saying, whatever you need to live in this world and to grow to be like Jesus, God will provide. He's not stingy. He's a good father who's generous. Listen, in this season, for example, do you ever feel like God's holding out on you? Maybe there's some things you desire, not necessarily bad things, but you desire and just hasn't come to fruition. Paul is saying, think here. Think right here. What was God willing to give up? That will give you an overwhelming deep assurance and power and joy in the present moment as you wait and trust a good father. You know, it reminds me, um, a couple, this is a couple weeks ago, um, my mom and her husband were visiting and they took us out for a really nice dinner at Buck and Honey's and a really nice breakfast at Grace's. And it was one of those moments where if I were to take my family there, there'd be this cap on what they could get. You know what I mean? Like, for example, it's just pretty certain unless we're celebrating a big thing like kids, it's not going to be sodas. It's, you know, it's no, we can drink that at home. It's cheaper there. We're not, no three bucks there for that for you. And um, there's a moment where um, one of my kids noticed, you know, my mom was like, hey, get, get what you want, whatever you want. And they just looked at me like, dad, why does this happen more often, you know? <laughs> And um, I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor, that's why. No, it's... <laughs> you, guys, you guys are very generous. Um, but, you know, um, there's this notion, right, that in one way or another, but in that season, my, my kids are noticing, okay, there's someone being very generous with us in a very small way. Do you know you have a father who's, who's generous with you? But this is, he did not spare his own son. and gave him up. But that's the logic. Think it out. Think it out. The assurance, joy, and power to know God is for you is to know you have a good father who is generous, who hasn't spared his son, and will provide everything you need in this world to grow and become like Jesus. But secondly, the, the, the logic of justification. Um, you know, think about this. Have you ever... I mean, I'm, I'm married, so let's just be honest. Like, I, I, I mess up. Sometimes, a few times, um, my wife's already shouting amen in the back there. I won't point her out. But um, in any relationship, there's a little bit of, like, insecurity. Like, like, what if I mess up really bad? Like, will that person still be there, right? Have you ever intentionally or maybe unintentionally offended or hurt someone? And you wonder, maybe this will be what the, the straw that breaks the back. Um, they're, they're gone. And some of you, even the season of COVID, right, you, you've walked through a season of mass, no mass, all this different stuff. And I guarantee you, relationships around you, they're just weird. They're, it's like things have gone sideways, sometimes backwards in relationships with family and friends based on socio-political and all these different dynamics in the last year. You've seen the rifts and the breaks in the various relationships you've had. You've seen them shift and shake. And the same can be true when it relates to our relationship to God. You know, one of the great hindrances to having a deep assurance that God is for you is simply because of the things we do to God, right? When we intentionally or unintentionally offend Him, 
when we sin. It's those moments, right, where we wonder, perhaps that was it. And in that season, right, we, we begin to maybe distance ourselves from God. We begin to think that God is surely done with us. We've gone too far. How can we be assured of this power and love? And, and, and look at what Paul says in, look for, in verse 33. Paul says this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know, back in chapters 3 to 5, we looked at this term justified, and it was this courtroom terminology of a judge. And it's right here where Paul kind of brings us into the courtroom, and charges are being filed. And if we're honest with who we are and our circumstances, even this week, right? We know that, that, that the prosecutor has a case, that we're guilty. But then, that's not what Paul says. Paul's thinking out the gospel. The logic of justification is this. Justification means you're declared righteous by the judge. This future verdict is brought back into the present, in which you know the final verdict is you're not guilty. And that's why Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And here's why. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who has raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And, he, and here's the good news. And notice it's, it's all about Jesus. He died. The reason he died was for our sins, which means the penalty has been paid. That's why the charges are dropped. That's why the charges are, there, there, there's, there's no more charges, because Jesus has paid it. It all says that Jesus was raised. And earlier on in Romans, we, we saw that because, of his, because he was raised, that means his sacrifice was completely sufficient to take care of everything. It's done. It's over. It's finished. But then what's interesting here, see, a lot of you knew that part, but this is a part that was fresh for me this week. Then for some reason, Paul goes to this. Paul says that Jesus is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Why does that matter? So, in ancient times, the one who sat at the right hand of the throne was a bit like the prime minister which basically means nothing here in America. But anyway, uh, the prime minister is the one who executes or the authority and rule in various laws and policies. In other words, Jesus is in a position of authority and power today. But also, listen to this, whoever is at the right hand of the throne also is the one who has the ear of the one on the throne. And listen, there's a couple different ways here, but when Paul says that Jesus is interceding for us, it's talking about Jesus playing this role of high priest. So listen to what Hebrews 7 talks about in terms of Jesus. It says this, speaking about Jesus, it says, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
And here's what this means. This is what Keller writes. Remember that if you appear in court, everything depends on your defense lawyer, your advocate. If your advocate is brilliant, you appear brilliant. If he wins his argument, you win your case. If your advocate knows the law is highly respected by the court, your case is secure. So when the Bible says that Jesus stands as our advocate and represented before the throne of the universe, it is a way to say that he is ascended. It doesn't matter how flawed and foolish you are. When the eyes of God the Father look out at you, they see the ascended Jesus. When they listen to you, they hear him. You have someone in high places, if you're a Christian, who is interceding for you, has the ear of the Father, and is, <laughs> is for you. I don't know about you, but there are moments um, where playing on the main stage in my mind are the things I've done in the past that I'm most ashamed of. And I, I really, I can't deny it. I can't dismiss it. And yet here, Paul's taking the logic of justification. And he's saying this, do you feel guilty today? Do you feel shame? Those have no shot in their case against you because of what Christ has done. And not only because of what Christ has done, but because right now he has the Father's ear. And no matter how flawed or foolish you've been, when the Father looks out at you, they see Him. They hear Him. God is for you. Lastly, the logic of inseparable love. This almost sounds like an 80s rock ballad here, being of Romans 8.35. Paul begins this final section, begins and ends with the same message in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And this section is really all about the things outside of us that could separate us from God. And look at what Paul says in verses 35 and 36. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And just pause there for a moment. Listen, religion says basically this. If you live a good life, live for God, your, your, your life is going to go fine. But notice what happens here. In the middle of Paul saying God is for you, right here Paul brings up trouble and persecution and famine. And by the way, Paul experienced all of these as a follower of Christ. In other words, we talked about this last week. When you put your trust in Christ, just because you become a Christian, it doesn't automatically make you immune to afflictions, to disease, to suffering. In fact, what's incredible, <laughs> you ever read through this section and you get to verse 36 and it's like, where is, what is Paul thinking here? But listen to what Paul says. As is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You know, it's like, it's one of those weird moments where like in this amazing section where it's God's love and God being for you, he just plops this weird thing about being like a sheep to be slaughtered. What, what, Paul, what are you doing? Why are you putting that there? What's interesting is this is from Psalm 44. And Psalm 44 is a, it's a psalm, and the context is this. 
Israel had just been defeated uh, by, by another nation. And usually, when that happens, if you look back, that happens because they've been unfaithful to God. They haven't been faithful. They've, they've turned their, you know, they've, they've turned their hearts to some, somewhere else. But Psalm 44, the psalmist says this in verse 17, all this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you. In other words, Psalm 44, they're experiencing suffering and affliction, but it's not because they've been unfaithful to God. Paul is putting this here because he wants his original audience and he wants us to know if you're a follower of Christ, simply this, that it is not something new for God to permit hardship or suffering in the lives of those he loves. And do you know why this is so important? Think about it. Let's just say, like, when things go south at work, when your parents get divorced, when you get the call from the oncologist, and it's not great news, what do you begin to immediately think? God surely cannot be for me. Do you see how Paul's completely showing us that that's not true? You see, the circumstances around us oftentimes can seem to contradict this, but Paul is saying God is for you even then, even in the midst of that. That's why it's so important to have a good theology of suffering, because oftentimes when suffering comes, we just bail, because we're sure God doesn't love us anymore, or He's certainly not for us anymore. And notice what Paul says next. In 37, he says this. He says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, that is unique. Paul could have just said we are conquerors. In other words, hey, whatever you face, it's okay. Christ's going to take care of it when he comes back. But to be more than a conqueror, how do you be more than a conqueror? Well, think for a moment of the last previous section last week. We saw this great statement, right, in Romans 8, 28, that God works good, um, God works all things in life for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And we saw in that, in that section that the good was not um, the suffering. The suffering is not good, okay? And the good was not that somehow it's going to get better. It wasn't that. The good was, according to verse 29, it was conformity to Christ. In other words, to be, to be more than a conqueror, means this, whatever God permits to enter your life, hardship, persecution, cancer, anything else, the reason you are more than a conqueror is because God actually uses it in your life to make you more loving, noble, true, and wise, and strong, and good, and joyful like Christ. The very things that seek to kill you are the very things that actually make you new, that actually, in God's plan of making you new, make you more like Him. You see, listen, when, when suffering comes in your life and you want to bail, you, you've got to know this, that God is for you in the midst of it because it's right there. That's where it means to melt you and mold you. Paul finishes out. In verses 38 and 39, 
Let me just read it. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's almost like Paul's trying to think of everything possible, right? They could come against us in this world to separate us from him. He says there's nothing. This last week, uh, actually like Sunday through Wednesday, um, Casey, Angela, man, and I were out at the 829 Pastors Wives Retreat, along with about 200 other pastors' wives from Midwest and South Central. And um, it was a good time. We were, we were in Colorado. It was beautiful. Um, they had an axe throwing contest. I just want to just let you know I did beat Casey. So if you are curious about who's, you know, anyway, I'll just let that go. But sorry, bro. Anyway. Um, but there was, um, we had breakfast with uh, a couple, another pastor and his wife uh, who were from Minneapolis. In case Angel know them a little bit even better than we do. But we just had breakfast with them. We asked them how their past year had been. And he actually said, well, actually the last two years have been pretty crazy. And it was in the fall of 2019 in which they found a lump in his neck and he was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma. And the incredible part is, in March of 2020, his oncologist called and it was good news. He was in complete remission. So on March 12th, He's in the hospital, and he's getting the port taken out that's used to draw blood and give treatments. And you know anything about March 12th, right? That's pretty much the day the world turned upside down with COVID. And remember, they live in Minneapolis. They don't live far from where George Floyd was murdered. And they begin to share about what the last year to two years has been like. I, I asked him, I said, what, what have you learned in these two years? He said three things. To lament, to rejoice, and hope. Hope in the gospel. And what's remarkable, this isn't, you know, like, this isn't like, I mean, he didn't say this all with a smile, right? I mean, honestly, every pastor and wife there was, seriously just exhausted from this last season. But he said it with a poise and a depth that have shaped both he and his wife. And listen, what was it that has enabled them to weather that? It's the logic of the gospel. To know that God is for them in the midst of racial unrest that God is for them in the midst of cancer, that God is for them in the midst of trying to lead a congregation through COVID, that God is for them. Listen, this morning, if you're not a Christian, the heart of this text is that why anyone can know that God is for them is because of Christ. That's where it's put on full display. And let me encourage you, if you're not a Christian, please continue to bring your suspicions, your doubts, and your questions about this news. Come back weekly. Join a city group. Get around some people who are working this out in real time, imperfectly. And today, know this. 
it isn't about dressing yourself up or improving yourself to make you right before God. It's simply about receiving this love offered in Christ, simply through faith. You can come to him even today. As for the rest of Redeemer City, I wonder what, I wonder what might happen if we were a community who continued to grow and mature in this gospel. You know, the average person today checks their phone 2,617 times a day. That's not counting millennials. Actually, millennials are more. Sorry, guys. But, but I wonder, why do we lack the assurance and joy and power that is available? Why are we nibbling on bread? When the logic of the gospel that would set our hearts on fire and give us a deep assurance that whatever we walk into tomorrow morning is actually, he's with us and he's for you. What if we were to take our suspicions that God is holding out on us and rather reflect on him not sparing his own son? Surely God is for you. What might happen if we took our foolishness and our failings presently and brought them to the logic of justification that Jesus by the Father is interceding for us and we are righteous in his sight, no more righteous than we will be on the day he returns because of what he's done. Surely God is for you. I wonder what might happen if we took our circumstances right now, the good and the bad, and know that nothing we face in this life can surely separate us from the love of God in Christ. What joy and assurance and power we might find there. Let us press into that and feed on that and speak to each other about that and grow in that. Let's pray. Father, um, <laughs> we lack assurance, we lack joy, we lack power, and yet it's all there. And so, Lord, we pray in these days in the midst of our failings, in the midst of our foolishness, in the midst of our doubts, that you might meet us, that your Holy Spirit might illuminate us to the truth of your scriptures, that the logic of the gospel would press into the very moments of our every day, to 11 a.m. tomorrow morning, to 8 p.m. tomorrow night, that it might fill us up, that you might make us new. We ask this all in your name and to your glory. Amen.